Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today with Dr. Sherry Tempany. She's an osteopathic doctor. She's been sounding the alarms on the vaccine since long before people even heard of COVID. <laughs> um, and I'm so excited to have you here today. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. So if you could give us a little bit of your backstory, I I, I read on your website, you had said that you, you were hardwired as an ER doctor and you always will be. <laughs> I actually dated an ER doctor for a, a brief period of time. And I remember they were all like adrenaline junkies and I would think, right. <laughs> and I, I always thought like their schedule was so grueling. And I thought, you know, that on his days off, he'd want to chill. And he's like, no, I want to go like bungee jumping and okay. <laughs> so tell me why, why you say that. And I'm also curious uh, if you could tell maybe my audience, I don't know that they're all that familiar with the difference between osteopathic doctor and MD and how that's relevant to what's going on in the current milieu. Well, let's start with that one. You know, okay. so, I mean, you know, osteopathic medicine was born by uh, a doctor by the name of Dr. A.T. Still, who was an MD medical doctor who came out of the Civil War. So mm -hmm. osteopathy has been around since the late 1800s. And the American Osteopathic Association has, has a $42 million a year marketing budget, which I think they should give to me because I do a better job of explaining what a DO versus an MD is. And I do it more loudly and broadly than any of their marketing material does. So what a, a DO is, a doctor of osteopathic medicine gets the same training as a medical doctor. They go through four years of college, four years of medical school. What makes them a little uniquely different is after medical school, they get a, they're required to do a one-year rotating internship. So that means every osteopath does in their internship does three months of surgery, three months of internal medicine, a month of pediatrics, and then you've got months of elective things that you can go and rotate through as you're deciding what uh, specialty you want to go into. And most MD, most allopathic programs go directly either into surgery or to medicine. So medical people may have never spent time in a surgery suite and vice versa, right. but their training is exactly the same uh, with a caveat that DOs also learn musculoskeletal medicine, um, the similar to, but 
a little more broadly than what chiropractors do. And I can say that fairly without sounding like I'm criticizing because I grew up in a chiropractic family where my grandfather, three uncles, two cousins, wow. and uh, three, my grandfather, my father, three uncles and two cousins were chiropractors. So I got my first chiropractic adjustment when I was about two weeks old. Wow. So I grew up under chiropractic and that was one of the main reasons I wanted to be a DO instead of an MD because I wanted that musculoskeletal training in my, in my armamentarium of things that I could treat people with and not just treat people with a prescription pad. And so DOs actually have more training, more broad, broader training. They have a more wide range of training that they've done both surgery and medicine. They're also trained in musculoskeletal medicine and it's the only form of medicine that has some principles upon which it's based. One is called the, the rule of the artery is supreme, which means that blood flow is absolutely critical for health. Another is structure function relationships. So if your spine's out of alignment or your shoulder's out of alignment or your pelvis is out of alignment, if the structure's not appropriate, the function can't be appropriate. So when people get pain that goes down into their arms or their legs and they go to the orthopedic surgeon who knows nothing about chiropractic, nothing about osteopathy, nothing about structure function relationships, they'll send you to physical therapy. They'll say your x-rays are normal. And then if physical therapy doesn't help, they send you to pain management, which is just a whole bunch of drugs. So they don't know anything about what to do with the human body. And you know, I've long said that when you go to a lawyer, you expect a lawyer to know about law. And when you go to a CPA, you expect a CPA to know something about taxes and business. When you, you go hope. to a doctor, you expect them to be an expert in anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry, mm -hmm. and a whole other sub things underneath there, maybe energy medicine, you know, maybe all kinds of other things about nutrition and lifestyle mm -hmm. and supplements. And most doctors know nothing about any of that. Right. They know a little bit about anatomy. They know what they need to get by in terms of physiology. And then they become pretty much glorified drug reps, symptom pill, symptom pill, symptom pill, symptom pill. And right. if they have this whole litany of symptoms for which they can make a diagnosis and prescribe a pill, then they're good doctors. They don't know hardly anything these days for sure right. about anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, nutrition, lifestyle, energy medicine, all those different things, which is a sad, sad statement about healthcare and about medicine, which is so sorely broken that I don't think there's anything that can repair it. I think we just need to let whatever it is over there sort of compress and fall apart on it under its own weight. As more and more doctors seem to be dying every week from the COVID shots, we'll just let that just die under its own weight. And then we'll come over here and we'll start a new system based on health, based on uh, nutrition and lifestyle and um, eating good food and staying away from vaccines and minimalizing pharmaceuticals, only doing Western medicine when it's absolutely necessary. Like if you break a bone or you're in mm -hmm. a car accident or you have an acute appendicitis, yes, we need them. And that's sure. about all we need them for. I'm into that. Yes, I, I would love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so the, the second part of the question, then I'll, I'll address the first part. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, I was asking you about why do you say that you'll always be hardwired as a, an ER doctor? 
Well, when I was coming out of my, my internship training, I really had a hard time. I really couldn't decide what I wanted to do. I, mm-hmm. I like both surgery and I like medicine. And quite frankly, I was good at both sides of it. Mm-hmm. So I had it right out of my, out of, out of my internship. I had a couple of friends who said to me, you know, Sherry, you're good at all kinds of orthopedic yeah. stuff. You're great. It's it, everything with surgery. You're really smart. You're a good diagnostician. Why don't you go do ER for a while? And then maybe from there, you'll sort it out and decide if there's a subspecialty you want to go into. Well, that was back in the day that was right as emergency medicine residency programs were just getting started. They really, wow. that was in 1984, which tells you how old I am. Right. And so it was, um, during that time where they, they, they real emergency medicine really wasn't a subspecialty at that time. Huh. And so when I went and I started working at the ER and I had really high level jobs and I really liked it. I like I, I liked the stress. I like <laughs> the chaos. I like that being able to, you know, kind of manage 12 or 15 things at the same time and took great pride in the fact that you never let a ball fall on the floor and you could mm-hmm. have a completely bed a full ER, the ER, the one of, you know, back in the day, ER docs, they rotated a lot. They did a lot of locum tenens work, which sometimes, you know, like my full-time job was at one hospital. Then I worked part-time at two other hospitals. And, you know, at any given time, you might have a completely full, all the beds are full right. and the, the ambulance box goes off and says incoming um, eight critically injured patient from a car accident, two head-ons, and you have to reshuffle the deck and remanage things and reprioritize. And right in the middle, when you're just getting that settled, you're calling in for extra help. The ambulance thing will go off and they'll say full arrest, full cardiac arrest, hitting your door in 10 minutes. And so you have to be able to change quickly. You have to stay calm under pressure. You can't fall apart when things look like chaos. You have to kind of like, I always pictured myself sort of like downshifting. You know, you're going up a mountain, you sort of have to downshift into another gear and, and broaden out in this direction. And, um, I never got rattled and I really was a trauma queen junkie. I love the high trauma stuff. And, um, and that period of time in my life, which was for about 12 years, I was the director of an ER. I was the youngest person on the, on the medical staff. I was only 29 years old. I was one of, I was the only DO on an all MD medical staff. Wow. I was one of only four women on the medical staff of about 170 doctors. And the other three women, you never saw them. One was a psychiatrist, one was a pathologist, and one was a pediatrician. So they were never in the hospital. And so it was just me and the guys. And um, so I did did that. As a matter of fact, I was on the executive committee of the hospital for six years. And it was the last Tuesday night of the month. And it was always like going to dinner with me and the guys, which is me and 12 of the guys, you know? So, um, and I just, so early on in my career and early on in my life, I mean, I was only 29 years old, you know, when I was doing this, you just kind of get hardwired to be a bit of a, like you said, a, a, you know, um, a chaos junkie. You like lots of moving parts. You're good at managing lots of, you're hardwired. You can manage lots of moving parts. If every, everybody who knows all the different businesses and all the different things I'm involved with and all the committees and all the employees I have, they go, how, you know, how do you manage that? I mean, like I, I have like 11 different email addresses and I've got like seven different uh, Fed, FedEx boxes for different businesses at the FedEx store. And when I go in there, the guy, the guy that's there, he goes, how do you remember all this stuff? I go, well, it's just like having a lot of children. You know, if you had like you know, 11 kids, I mean, you know, their middle name and their birthday. And you know that this one plays football and that one plays tuba. And you know, that one likes art. I mean, you know, they're like your kids, you just learn what they do, you know? 
He said, I guess uh -huh. that's a pretty good analogy, but <laughs> that's why I, and people will look at my life and like when I actually print it out and show people what I do, they're like, how do you manage all that? Well, I think it goes back to my emergency medicine training yeah. from a very early age that my brain just got kind of hardwired to manage chaos, be involved in a lot of different things at the same time. And you don't require a lot of sleep. I don't, I don't need a lot of sleep. So that's, you, uh, you have the DEC2 gene. There, there's apparently is. like a gene that, uh, where, you know, most people, if they don't, they need around eight hours, you know, maybe a little bit less, a little, a little bit more before they start seeing deleterious effects. But there's like, a, I think it's less than 2% of the population where they can function on around six to maybe six and a half hours sleep. And they don't have, uh, like negative side effects from it. Well, I must have like a double set of one of those genes. <laughs> yeah. More recently, as I get older, I seem to require a little more sleep than I did when I was younger. Now I pretty much go to bed between one thirty and two and get up at seven. So that's wow. five hours of sleep yeah. almost every day. I wake up at wow. seven, so I get up about eight. And it used to be in my thirties and my forties, I'd go to bed between two thirty and three and get up between six thirty and seven, like every day. Wow. And sometimes I'd take a 10 or 15 minute power nap in the afternoon. And about once every three or four weeks, I'd have to go to bed like at 11 and sleep till like eight, you know, like a normal night. Right. Sleep. <laughs> like mm -hmm. a normal night but sleep. My dad was like that too. So maybe it is sort of a genetic, a thing. genetic thing. He didn't require a lot of sleep. And he taught me, my dad had been a, a veteran of the Korean war and right. he taught me when I was, I don't know, six or seven years old, because he had learned when he was in the war, how to, you know, like just sit down. If like he could, if, if you said to him, Al, I want you to sit down and go to sleep. He'd go, okay. He'd sit in a chair and he'd go. <laughs> and it'd be like less than a minute and a half sitting right here like this. He wow. would be sound asleep. And, wow. and I learned that when I was in medical school that I could do something really unique. And I talked to a lot of people about it and they said, I don't know how you do this. I said, I don't either. But I used to, you know, you'd be studying all the time and you get really tired so mm -hmm. I just, you know, you'd put your head down on the desk and I would say, I'm going to take a nap. And I, and I would look at the clock and I would say it's so like right now on my computer clock, it's a one four, it's one fifteen, on my time. And I would say, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to wake up in 27 minutes. And I would. Wow. And I mean, and it would be like, I'd be sound asleep. And I, you're probably not old enough to remember this, but the old diode black and white television sets, when that, you were growing up with the black and white television sets, mm -hmm. you'd see the picture when you'd push the off button, the picture would kind of go like this to go away. That's just how it would turn off. And in my right. mind, I would be, I would just see this thing and just turn away and I'd be awake and I'd be wide awake, like wide awake. Wow. And I used to started doing it for like 45, for like an hour. And I just would say, I'm going to wake up. Then I thought, I wonder how good I can get at this. And so, I mean, I would go down to like 13 and a half minutes and I'd be able to do it at like exactly that time, you know? So, and my dad had taught me when I was a kid, when I was, you know, that he had learned in the military because they, he never, you never knew when you had an opportunity to take a nap or to sleep, Sure. that sleep was a matter of controlling your mind. And if you could control your mind, you can fall asleep and wake up anywhere. And so when I was seven, I remember he started working with me about control your mind just focus on your head right here or say, or follow like a little green or yellow ball, breathing in and out, or to say the Lord's prayer over and over again, to just get your mind focused on one right. thing, not drifting out here and running around doing treadmills and all this other stuff. Just focus on one thing. 
take a couple of deep breaths and you'll go out. And I've been able to do that since I was a kid. That's amazing. I guess it's kind of like a meditation principle. Kind of. Kind yeah. of it kind of is like that. It's kind of a, a meditation principle that you just focus your mind mm-hmm. and and not let it go. You know, people say, I get in bed and my mind just races. Well, then you're allowing your mind to act like a four-year-old undisciplined child. You know, you right. need to, you need to, it's like, you know, would you allow your four-year-old undisciplined to run all over your living room and break things and make a right. mess and all this other stuff? Well, if you do, you're not a very good parent. No. You know, you just want to be friends with your children instead of like parenting them. But right. that's what a runaway mind is like that. You know, people say, I, my mind, I get in bed and my, I just can't stop thinking. And my mind is just racing. Well, you have an undisciplined four-year-old running around between your ears. <laughs> Tell them to sit down, be quiet, stop misbehaving. And if they start to, uh-uh, I told you, sit down. Wow. No, don't get out of that chair, sit down. Right. And it's focusing your attention and retraining your mind to be under your control instead of you being at the mercy of what's racing through your head. Wow. Well, hearing all of this makes me really understand why you have been able to kind of sift through all of this madness. I feel like you've seen so clearly what is happening when a lot of people haven't necessarily. But before we get into what's happening now, I'd love to hear how did you get awake to like the vaccines? Like what was the first tip off the, the regular vaccine? The, or we'll call them the traditional. I don't know that I think of any of them as being, you know, the uh the safe and effective vaccines that we were told, but um but you were sounding this alarm, you know, for decades now. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Growing up in a chiropractic family, like I said, where my grandfather and my father and three uncles and two cousins were chiropractors, I wasn't vaccinated as a baby. My dad believed that my dad believed that, um, you know, good chiropractic care and vitamins was what Mm. you, and, and, uh, was what you really needed. And he, he had gone off to the Korean war and he had not up until going into the war had had no vaccines. And of course they pummel all these people with vaccines when they go to the war. I mean, more now than in the fifties and, you know, in the Korean war, but he, he remembered, he said he'd never been so sick in his entire life. He thought he was really literally going to die. He was so sick. Yeah. And when he came back from the war and he went to chiropractic school um, and he was practicing, I think 52, 53 was when he went, was when he graduated from medical school. And the peak of the polio epidemic was 53 to 55. Mm-hmm. And the chiropractors were the ones that were seeing all these kids coming in with paralyzed legs from the shots. Of course. And so he said, I'm not doing that, you know, and, and my mom grew up in the deep South. And from a pretty poor family in the deep South. And she said, we didn't have any money to go to the doctor. She said, I might have gotten a diphtheria shot. Maybe, I don't know. I don't remember getting any shots, you know? And so when they made the decision that they were not going to vaccinate me as a baby, I had all the age appropriate measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox. In fact, I missed most of the third grade because I had measles, mumps, and I had measles and chicken pox pretty badly. I had really severe cases of it. And then just as I went back to school, I think I was back to school like two weeks. I got the mumps really bad. And I remember crying because I was so bored of being at home and I wanted to go back to school and I, you know, all this stuff. But, you know, I think that that's one of the reasons why, and I had pertussis at least twice. 
And I think it's one of the reasons why as an adult, why I have such a healthy immune system and why I can maintain that level of high level chaos at my age that usually you kind of give up after you're 40, right? (laughs) Is that is because I didn't, you know, I I never did that. So I, you know, I go into the ER and doing the ER for 12 years. And then, and I didn't know anything about vaccines. I mean, like Mm -hmm. nothing. I mean, I knew you gave a tetanus shot and that was it. I'd never even read the package insert on the tetanus shot. And this would have been in the nineties. And the nurses would come up to me and say, you you know, there'd be a little one if you have a fever and ear infection and snotty nose and all that stuff. They go, you know, they're behind on their vaccines. Should we catch them up? And I go, nah, let that, they don't, they got, they got enough to deal with right now with what's going on with them. They're going to be on antibiotics. You know, don't do any of that nonsense. Their pediatrician can do that later. And I never, you know, and I gave out, I used to, I said the comment, I gave out tetanus shots. Like I thought they were some special kind of candy, you know, little is good and more won't hurt you, which I've subsequently found out was flat out wrong. And I didn't know anything about any of it. Right. So then I got out of my business partner in my ER group died of metastatic kidney cancer when he was 32 years old. And I knew there had to be something more to healthcare and medicine. And so I started my own clinic just to do osteopathic medicine. And I took the UCLA medical acupuncture course. And so I did acupuncture and osteopathy and osteopathic manipulation. And one thing, and I was the director of the ER and because I was the director of the ER, I got to make out the schedule. And the gal who owned the local health food store asked me if I have ever heard of the, of the, of the, she called it the newsletter. And I ever heard of the Townsend letter for, for, and I ever heard of the Townsend letter and I'm thinking it's like a four page, try, you know, folder thing. Right. And I said, I said, why don't you fax over a couple? And she laughed at me and she said, I'll bring you over a few. Well, they're medical journals and they were correspondences between alternative doctors. They called it alternative medicine at the time. And so, and it was like, they would do research articles and they published all these things. I'm like, I felt like I had, I'd been stuck in a room my entire life. And somebody had finally showed me a doorknob and I walked out and there's like a world out there. (laughs) And so I subscribed to the Townsend letter and for two years, it came, it came once a month. And for two years, as soon as I would get the Townsend letter, I'd flip it over to the back page where all the conferences, all all the holistic medical conferences, integrative conferences, alternative medicine conferences were in in the country. So because I was the director of the ER, we made the schedule out two months in advance. I was blocked off where I was going to be gone first and then put (laughs) everybody else into the schedule. And um, for two years, once a month, I went to a conference somewhere in the country to learn alternative, holistic, integrative medicine. It was before they had courses like they have now. Wow! And so then I moved to Cleveland in 96 and I opened my clinic and I would have these parents come in clutching their baby to their chest going, what's your thoughts about vaccines? I go, I don't know. Well, I don't, never was vaccinated. I don't think it's necessary. And they take a deep breath. And then finally, I got a brochure in the mail to attend the National Vaccine Information Center meeting in Washington, D.C. in September of 2000. And after having all these parents clutching babies going, <laughs> what do you think about vaccines? I thought, well, maybe I ought to go learn something about this. Yeah, man, I don't know. Tetanus shots. What else is there? So I go to seriously. I, what else is there? So I go, and I, I remember I, it was in 1991 when they came out with the hepatitis B vaccine and they tried to get all the ER docs to get them. And I, I'm doing that. So I worked, like I said, at three, three hospitals. And I told the other one, I got it over there. I got it at that one. You know, I lied to him. I told him I didn't, okay. you know, it was over the place. So I went to this, so to September of 2000, I went to Washington, DC and went to the National Vaccine Information Center meeting, sat there for four days, mesmerized, absolutely mesmerized by how did I miss this as part oh. of my education? 
I heard bench researchers, doctors, parents of vaccine injured kids, attorneys, um, all these people for four days right. talking about problems with vaccines. And I'm, I'm like, how did I miss this? Well, then I got home and I thought, well, what do I do with that? Right. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe I ought to look up what the CDC says about vaccines. I mean, after all, aren't they supposed to be the experts? So, <laughs> I, so I went out to the CDC and I read they, every couple of years now, they come out with a, with a paper called general recommendations of vaccination. I, I'm not sure if they still do it. I haven't looked in a while, but this was back in the day and it was like every two years. And the first one was the 1998 version of general recommendations of vaccination. It was a 42 page paper, poorly written, horribly referenced. And I got to the end of it and said, you can't be serious. Th this is it. This is when the entire industry is about this piece of crap written paper. Oh, surely there must be something more than this I can read. Well, that was in September of 2000. You know, it's been over two years, over 20 years now. It's out 20 years, 22 years later. I can say I've read 10, I've, I've put in, and I'm not exaggerating, well beyond 50,000 hours worth of research because wow. it's what I do all day long is read and research and put things together. If I'm not sitting in front of a patient or I'm not standing on a stage or I'm not doing my little tiny bit of sleeping, I'm usually <laughs> researching and studying something about the problems with vaccines. So I'm the most well-read, well-educated, and I only read peer-reviewed published literature. I'm mm -hmm. not getting stuff off of Mercola or Mike Adams or, I love them. I mean, they're mm -hmm. good people and they do sure. good things at that level for the general population, sure. but I'm going to the core source and I'm reading those New England Journal and JAMA and British Medical Journal and all of those different things. And so I've been doing this a long time. I've written several books. I've done a lot of courses. I've spoken at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conferences all over the world. Sure. Um, so when COVID came, yeah, it was just a lateral step. It was right. just another step forward going, all right, let's take a look at this. So in March of 2020, I kind of took a 30,000 foot view and said, looked around the neighborhood and I went, whoa, this is, this is Satan's last hurrah here, baby. You better like better hammer down because mm -hmm. this is not yeah. going to be good. And I just felt the Lord just say to me, carpet bomb the neighborhood. So in an 18 month period of time, we did over 600 interviews. And uh, usually I do about 30 a year. And I did about over 618 months. Sometimes I was doing six and seven in a day, you know, wow. just trying to get people to not take this shot, yeah, not be injected with this thing. So all of March, of, all of 2020, it was about the myth of the mask. I created courses on this that you can find at learningforyou.org, learning the number four, you.org. There's courses on the myth of the mask, the nonsense of the social distancing, the absolute fraud of the PCR testing and the danger of, the, of all that testing. Yeah. And then in 21, I did the 20 mechanisms of injury and then the 20 more mechanisms of injury on how the COVID shots can make you sick or kill you. So right. all of 21 was all about the shots. And oh, by the way, just as a little aside for your audience, yeah. on September the 12th, we're doing another webinar, sort of like year in review about the COVID shots. We're going to refresh people who haven't seen it or don't know about the 40 mechanisms of injury. I'm going to add another eight or 10 mechanisms, maybe more that I've found. Wow. And then I'm going to go through all of the 123 covid shots that are in the developmental pipeline whoa put them into categories and tell people why just because they don't have messenger rna in them doesn't make them any safer 
So that's going to be, if you're on our email list, if you're not on our email list, if you go to drtenpenny.com, it's just D-R-T-E-N-P-E-N-N-Y, just like it sounds, drtenpenny.com, get onto our email list, and then we'll be sending out notifications in the next couple of weeks about the, the webinar. But mark your calendar, it's, it's Saturday, September 12th, yeah. probably from about 10 to 1 Eastern time. Great. Wow. So uh, that was going to be one of my questions is what what do they have down the pipeline? Uh, right. But I think before we get to that, maybe we can talk a little bit about uh, I, I've heard you say that the, it, you know, in terms of the what people call shedding, that it's really transfection and transmission. Oh, transmission. OK, transmission. Sorry. And uh, I, I'm curious what the difference between shedding transmission would be and what is the concern for other people? Because some people are saying that there might be, you know, nanotechnology in these injections. And, you know, is that something that transmits from one person to the next? And is there any antidote or protection mechanism against that if there is? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's first talk about the definitions. And this is, we defined yeah. this early on. This was April of 2020. Yeah. We, it was me and the five docs, you know, yes. so we, it was me, Larry Pilevsky, Christian Northrup, Lee Merritt and Carrie Made. You know, yeah. we kind of collectively do things together. We call yep. ourselves, our little group is called the five docs. And it was yeah. April of 2020 when this- and Anybody who was, hasn't seen it should, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the last Thursday night of the month. We do a, we do a webinar the last Thursday night of the month. And it's part of um, Larry Pilevsky and I, oh, excuse me, Larry Pilevsky and I do every Thursday night at 7 p. Eastern time. It's a, it's a podcast called Critically Thinking with Dr. Mm -hmm. P and Dr. T. Yeah. And so three nights, so three Thursdays a month, it's me and Larry. And then the last Thursday or the fourth Thursday night of the month, it's the five docs that we get together and we just have, we have a ball on that, on that podcast. We laugh, yeah. we tell stories, we poke fun at things. It's, and we tell, <laughs> very, give very serious information too, very critically important information. So yeah. this was April of 2020 when we had gathered over 900 case reports, you know, just personal case reports on Facebook, yeah. which then yeah. again, of course, Facebook put, took the whole thing down right. of women who had been around people that were, uh, had been fully injected, you know, yeah. at that time, it would have just been two shots, not two shots and boosted and all the stuff. Sure. And that they were started to have horrible irregularities in their periods, mm -hmm. that their, their periods became irregular, very heavy. They were, they were putting out these things called um, uterine casts, that they had so much blood on the inside of their uterus that they would kind of coagulate and form like almost, it could be as hard as a stone, almost passing that out. Yep. There was infertility things, there were horrible rashes. And so we, we coined the term, and I wish people would use this, mm -hmm. transmission. Transmission. Right. And stopped calling it shedding mm -hmm. because shedding is very different. Shedding is if I get a chicken pox or a live virus vaccine, like a chicken pox shot or a mm -hmm. shingle shot, that's a live virus shot. And I get around you, Courtney, and you've never had chicken pox. That live virus can shed on you and cause chicken pox. That's shedding. Yeah. Transmission means if I've been injected with the COVID shot and they, 
They don't know for sure yet, but we're pretty sure it's the spike protein that is transmitted. Okay. And if I, if I breathe on you or more often touch you, it's a skin to skin transmission right. on your skin, that transmission, you could get a litany of 50 different types of conditions. So right. you're not getting COVID, you're right. not getting the flu, you're right. getting whatever, however, that spike protein goes into your body and disrupts the function of your body. So you're sure. transmitting something to cause a problem. Mm -hmm. Shedding is trans is, is shedding is giving somebody a virus to cause that infection. Right. Right. I, I actually, uh, two years ago, wrote a article on shedding. And when in my research, I found that they used to tell mothers of, uh, you know, young children who were getting in injections that they were contagious. Mm -hmm. And right. And now, you know, that's a, it, now that's just a crazy conspiracy theory, although that's what mothers were actually told. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, it's very true. I mean, 3% of, you know, 3%, this, I'm not sure the statistics still holds mm -hmm. because things have changed a lot, but at right. that time, the chickenpox vaccine came out in 1995 mm -hmm. and the, and um, the shingle shot came out about maybe 19, right around 2000, maybe a little bit later than that. And that's where they were live virus vaccines. And when you had a chickenpox shot, you were, you were a chickenpox vaccine. You were warned to not get around anyone that was undergoing chemotherapy or had immunosuppression or had cancer, or just had a bone marrow transplant or any of these things where their immune systems were down and they were susceptible because you could shed that virus and cause a horrible reaction, even right. life threatening reaction into people that were in those conditions. Right. And wow. so they used to say, you know, for at least three weeks when they came out with the flu mist shot in 2004, that was the intranasal one. Mm -hmm. They said after that, you shouldn't be around any, but mothers shouldn't even, mothers should not get that and breastfeed and breathe down on their babies for at least three weeks. Cause it was a live virus vaccine. Wow. And, and, um, and you, and for the same thing, shouldn't be around chemotherapy people. And, and we actually, I remember this is kind of a good story, actually, this was in 2004. Uh, there was several of us that were up in arms about this vaccine coming out, this nasal intranasal live virus shot uh, and live virus squirt, I guess is more appropriate to say, and mm -hmm. that they were going to start administering them at Walmart. And we got all up in arms. We wrote Walmart and showed them all the data saying, you know, if somebody goes into Walmart and gets a squirt up the nose right. and goes down the toilet paper aisle and sneezes that virus all over the toilet paper. And the next person that walks in to get toilet paper is in, is undergoing chemotherapy. And now they've been exposed to that live virus. Right. Where is your liability in that Walmart? What are you going to do about people who are going to be susceptible to that? And we got them to shut it down. Wow. That's awesome. They, they, yeah. they, they, they said, Whoa, we don't have any liability coverage for this. And within less than three weeks, Walmart was no longer going to offer that, that uh, intranasal shot. And this was in 2004. Yeah. Wow. So it, in terms of the transmission to what are the thoughts on if there is uh you know, I, so you were saying this, this spike protein is what you think is transmitting. What are the thoughts on the, the nanotechnology and that possibility? Well, uh, you know, I'm not so sure that nanotechnology can be transmitted. It might be, mm -hmm. but, but if it's really a heavy particle, a really yeah. heavy particle, you know, like the, the nanotechnology where they say it can assemble, disassemble, reassemble. Yeah. 
and the little teeny tiny microchips that have been identified by four different countries um, and things, they would be very heavy. So um, it's sort of like why they said that like the smallpox virus isn't Mm -hmm. aerosolized and very much easily transmitted because it's very heavy. It doesn't aerosolize. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got things like graphene oxide and nanoparticles and uh, some of the chemicals like SM102 and polysorbate mm-hmm. 80 and, and um, you know, uh, yeah, poly, not polysorbate 80, poly, yes, polysorbate 80 and polyethylene glycol, glycol. and things like that. They're, they're not going to aerosolize very well. And I'm not quite sure, even if it got on your skin, how it would get into your skin. But the spike okay. protein seems to absorb. Now, put this in context for a minute. Okay. And I think that everybody needs to like, put a bridle in the bit of their horse and pull back a little bit. Okay. And the reason is, is because we haven't even been at this for two years yet. I know. I'm very concerned about what we're going to see in the future. We've already seen so many adverse effects and deaths. And everybody wants absolute answers and absolute solutions. (laughs) And you know, absolutely what's being transmitted and absolutely how to stop it and how long your transmission is going on. Who studies that stuff? Nobody. So the only way that we're going to know, because there's no money for that, because they don't care. They want everybody either dead, chronically sick, or a transhuman. That's the goal. And so there's no money to study like what this whole thing is all about, but everybody wants to know. And they're all very good questions. And they're all questions that need to be answered, that there are no answers for. Right. And they, we already do know that what's happening with this transmission is going to be multi-generational. We've, they've already figured out how it goes into the genetics and gets passed mm-hmm. on if you can get pregnant at all, you know, going on. So this is war against humanity. This yeah. is absolutely war of the United States of America against Americans, but it's a global war to kill us all off. Yeah. And they're not quiet about it. And now going into the fall, you know, I just read a paper yesterday out of the UK that they're planning on a mass vaccination campaign, unlike anything we've seen so far in with the new shots that are a combination of coronavirus and flu shots, which is just Whoa. deadly. And, um, and they're not even talking about prevention of disease anymore. They're talking about just getting everybody vaccinated. With no justification because they fully admit that, you know, it Power, doesn't money, control. Right. That's all. That's the justification. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So what, what I, I, I know we don't have concrete answers, although, yeah, I, I'm one of those people who wants as many answers as possible. I get it. <laughs> Everybody does. And they're good questions. It's just that, you know, when, when people say they don't have an answer, well, then they want to go to the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one, the next person and ask the same question. And the answer is always the same. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. So what? Uh, so granted, we don't know. But what? What are your thoughts based on what you are seeing with what's what's happening? Um, what do you think we're going to see more of in the years to come? I think I, I ask this because my my worry is that one, and you're telling us they already have all of these other injections lined up. They're doing these mass, uh, you know injection campaigns and we're already seeing so many people with really horrendous adverse effects and so many deaths and i i'm concerned that we're going to see down the road it's like we haven't even scratched the surface yet what are your thoughts i totally agree i've been saying for two years now that we're going to see a tsunami of deaths it's like seeing this wave the tsunami of deaths that are coming like like the 
big California surfing waves, you know, that are just starting yeah. to curl across the top. And I think yeah. right behind that is going to be a tsunami of mourning and grief and regret that when people finally, finally start to wake up, come out of the cloud yeah. of cognitive dissonance, that they, they just can't get their head around the fact that the government, these people are evil, they're monsters they're satanic ritual worshipers. They yeah. are a cult and they don't care about you. This is not about health. It's about destruction of society. It's about control. It's about taking over your land, your money, your body, your children, that they want your children because they sacrifice them to their, to Baal and Moloch. I mean, it's, ch it's child sacrifice that's happening right before our eyes. It goes all the way back to the, to the Genesis six and the Babylonian mystery schools is where this all sources from. And it's just the second, second res, re, resolution, revolution of that. And so this, re, when people start to realize that nobody made me do this, all these people say, I had to do it. They made me. No, they didn't. No. You, nobody sat you, tied you in a chair, like in the movies, tied you in a yeah. chair, put duct tape across your mouth and jabbed yeah. a needle in your arm. Right. Well, I had to do it to keep my job. Oh yeah. That job you've hated and complained about for the last 20 years, that one you had right. to keep, right? I had to do it because I had to see my grandchildren. Well, there's this thing called zoom and FaceTime and there's a lot, you know, do they have to sit in your lap in order to see them and participate with them? And you're going to allow your adult children to poison you in order to see your grandchildren. And what, oh, I wanted to go on that cruise. I've always wanted to go on an Alaskan cruise and I just had to go on the cruise. So I had to get a shot to go on the cruise. Okay, so for convenience. Yeah. And out of massive fear. Well, geez, you know, the Bible says more than 300 times fear not. And I think if God bothers to repeat himself that many times, it's probably important. <laughs> and so we did it out of fear, out of convenience yeah. or out of coercion. Right. And now as we start seeing, I mean, my business partner has 63 people in his life that have died from these shots, 63. Wow. M many of them, they said were COVID deaths, but when sure. you ask the next question, did they get the shot? Yes. These people are in their forties, thirties, fifties, oh. leaving behind wives and children and moms that are dying, leaving behind husbands and children, mom and dads that are dying, leaving behind orphans. Wow. This is just the beginning of that tsunami wave. And when they first said they were going to approve these shots for five-year-old kids, I said, well, maybe six or 7 million dead first graders will get somebody's attention. And I've had a bunch of people, including Steve Kirsch and uh, Paul Alexander and um, uh, people, other people that I know that are pretty high up and pretty informed say, they're not going to get it because people do not want to accept the fact that they volunteered to commit suicide. They volunteered to poison themselves with an irreversible damaging thing to their genetics. They volunteered their children for child sacrifice. It's easier to call you a conspiracy theory nut than yeah. it is to accept, accept responsibility that I made a mistake, man. They, I bought the Kool-Aid, I drank the Kool-Aid and man, I did the wrong thing. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, ain't happening. Lord, forgive me for my bad decisions. Right. And I may have to suffer the consequences of those decisions in my physical body, but I'm not going to suffer the consequences in my eternal life body. Lord, forgive me for the bad decision. Forgive me for trusting that I, what I trusted was a shot to take away my fear. 
Right. I trusted a pharmaceutical product to keep me healthy and to remove me from being fearful. I trusted mm -hmm. a pharmaceutical product was going to be okay so I could go get on a cruise ship. I mean, seriously, Lord, please forgive us all. Forgive everybody who's listening to this and really hears it and hears it and feels it in their spirit. Please forgive them for their bad decisions. Mm -hmm. However, they came to that decision, whether it was fear, convenience, or coercion. Right. Amen. You had said that uh, you were talking about some of these other uh, shots that are coming down the pike and, uh, you know, that some of them might not be mRNA. And uh, uh, could you talk a little bit about why those are still incredibly uh, risky and, you know, that it doesn't make them. Now, let me get you the exact number here. Okay. Let me see. Um, the reason is is the reason that they oh hold on a second. Sure. There you go. The reason that they are there we go. The reason that they are um equally as bad is because all you know if you've heard the expression all roads lead to Rome. Mm -hmm, sure. Well, in these shots, all vaccines, all shots lead to the production of the spike protein. Mm. And spike protein is one of the primary causes of illness and death. Right. Not only what the spike protein does directly to your immune system and your organ systems, mm -hmm. um, but the antibody made to the spike protein can cross react and cause multi-organ system failure through a process called molecular mimicry. So all in, in the spike protein that they're generating and making doesn't even match the current coronavirus that's in circulation. So you're just making a spike protein for the sake of a spike protein. And so we're injecting something that we're so far, we don't know exactly how long that messenger RNA, once it's injected, billions and billions of them get injected into your body to create spike protein. Mm. We're not sure how long they last but so far, we know that that continues to replicate and make spike proteins at least a year. Wow. And it's because the synthetic, the way that the spike protein is made or way the messenger RNA is made, you know, our bodies normally make messenger RNA all day long. We make sure. messenger RNA to go make a protein to fix a cut, fix a bruise, you know, heal a something that we've done, right? right? Well, the very last nucleic acid is called uridyl. And so if you think about, you take messenger RNA and you run it through a factory to make a protein at the end of that assembly line, that very- Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Very last, when it goes through that, that uridyl shuts off and it breaks down and you don't use it anymore. It's like a one-time process. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. You take that, that, that messenger RNA one time, it goes through the ribosomes once mm -hmm. and makes a protein then it degrades and you have to start over. Mm -hmm. And so with what they've done is they've, they've taken the uridyl off the end and they've replaced it with a synthetically made 
um, a pseudo uridylil is the name of that nucleic acid. It's made in a lab. And huh. so as it runs through the ribosomes to make that spike protein, there's no off switch. Right. It can do it again and again and again and continue to make it maybe in perpetuity. Again, it's not even been two years yet. It's not even been 18 months worth of research yet. You have no idea how long this lasts. It might be 19 months. It might be 19 years. You have no idea. Wow. that That's scary to think about. I, I'm curious since you, you've you've kind of watched this whole trajectory with the vaccine. Do you think that the traditional, we'll call them traditional vaccines, do you think they paved the way for this mass uh, COVID shot and for all that's coming next? And do you think this is kind of like a beta test for, you know, what they're doing coming in? Yeah. Well, they've conveniently co stolen and co-opt the term vaccine. Mm -hmm. Because we've known, you know, since the early 1800s, when the smallpox vaccine came out, you know, when Jenner made the smallpox vaccine, we think we know what that word means. Right. But it's a familiar word, whether we mm. are correct with the definition or not. Right. You know, did you get the get your flu shot? What about the MMR vaccine? What about this? You know, kids get multiple doses of 17 different vaccines now to be fully vaccinated in the pediatric schedule. But we parents mm -hmm. and everybody grow up knowing the word vaccines. Right. So they conveniently co-opt this synthetically made uh, gene therapy bioweapon and called it inaccurately a vaccine. So we pre-program people to think that this shot was just like getting a flu shot or just like an MMR, just like any other shot. And that's why we can conveniently put this vaccine into the pediatric schedule at two, four, and six months with the rest of them, with no research on babies, no research on interaction with other drugs, no research on long-term complications, no research on what this messenger RNA does to the baby's brain or heart or kidneys or any of these things, but it's just a vaccine. And so people are used to hearing that word. Right. Interest, interestingly enough, I wrote, I started a Substack a couple of months ago and it's called, it's, you can find it, it's drtenpenny.substack.com. It's called Eye on the Evidence. Yeah. And I take a, um, um, right. uh, an article out of the peer reviewed literature and I explain to people what it kind of means and then kind of write about it. And one of the articles I wrote is on my Substack is called When Babies Go Missing. And when all these babies start dying, which they are, I mean, what did I just read last night or the night before something that's, there's been over 4,300 fetal deaths reported to VAERS already, already. And we've wow. only been injecting babies, children under five years of age for less than three months. <gasps> that's awful. Wow. For, and so for people to say, oh, you're just a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. Well, right. go look at the numbers. I mean, I, I'm not that diabolical to, to just kind of make <laughs> this kind of stuff up. Right. You know? right. And, and if, even if I was, why would I, why would I scare people to death? Sure. Why would I want people to cry? Why would I want people to feel guilty and remorseful? Right. I don't. I've spent 22 years of my life trying to be ahead of the curve to get people to not take these shots in the first place. Right. So now if they have, I have to just tell the truth about the consequences of that. Of course. What do you think for, I, I, I mean, I very much agree with you. I think they want to depopulate as many as possible, 
and uh, then they want to uh, control the, you know, transhumanize the rest. And uh, so what do you think about the people who have not taken, you know, they've not succumbed to, you know, this uh, mass weaponization? Because I think that that's something a lot of people don't really look at. And the reality is that the people who have been, you talked about the convenience, you talk about the the coercion, but a lot of the people who have succumbed to this are really the bulk of our infrastructure in society. You know, it's a lot of the healthcare workers, a lot of the law enforcement workers. It's, you know, a lot military. of the, the teachers, what, right? Military, yeah. the pilots. Military, the military, right? I it, Yeah, so I think... It's a it's a very daunting thing to you know hopefully I'm wrong you know and then <laughs> everything's gonna be fine and uh, you know that it's not going to be a, a tsunami of uh, tragedy but if it is what what is going to happen to the people who are withstanding what what kind of advice can you give what do you well, what are things you think need to be put in place well you can always get healthier sure and I think it's really I I don't there is to my knowledge and to most of the people that run in my circles, you know, they're, once you've had even one of these shots, you've created incredible damage to your body. You've created my, you know, even Robert, Dr. Robert Malone thinks that even if you've had only one of these shots, you've created myocarditis at some level. He experienced it himself. Yeah. You know, and so we're talking all the way down to infants now. I mean, um, Moderna is starting its trial on three month olds next month. And so this is child sacrifice, man. It's just, they're, they're starting it. And even the Pfizer shot, somebody went back and analyzed the data when it came down to when they approved these Pfizer shots down to six month old babies, they'd actually just crunched the data and ignored all these different things and made all these exclusions. There were something like nine children left in the study. Nine. Wow. So, um, you know, what's going to happen, you know, is that that we're, the, the 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 planned decimation of the United States of America started probably in the 70s, maybe even in the 60s. Sure. And Catherine yeah. Austin Fitz talks about it I a lot. The 60s. I think that's a huge part of the cultural revolution in the 60s was to pave the way to really take down. Absolutely. And the, the assassination of Kennedy. Yep. And you know the then all of that stuff that's happened. These people are very patient. They're very patient people. A little too much for, I, that's never been a virtue I possess. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard Catherine Austin Fitz talk about, She's, you know, the, the, you know, the whole thing of like, she calls the, the people that are in charge, she calls them Mr. Global. And Mr. Yeah, Global yeah. is in, you know, wants your chill, wants your gold, wants your property and wants your children. Yeah. And, um, that's, you know, that's what their, their game is. And, you know, the, the, and she talks, she tells a story. I've heard her tell it multiple different times about back when she was still involved with government and still the secretary of HUD. And she had figured out a way to solve this missing money problem and how to take care of the economy. And she went to a couple people that she thought would really be good to talk it over with. Mm -hmm. And the one guy just looked at her rather aghast and said, Catherine, don't you understand? They've already decided the United States is ending. They're already planning it. They're yeah. planning it from money. They're planning it with people. They've already decided that they've given up on this country and it is going to implode and go away. So we're kind of at the end stages of their plan that started, you know, 60 years ago. And, and I think that the timing on that, because when you think about the people who were the, that came out of World War II and were the military patriots and, you know, have and fought, literally fought for the, the, this country and the ideals of this country, 
we don't have a whole lot of those anymore. We have we have a lot, but not, but in comparison to the snowflakes and the who want Marxism and they're going to be perfectly okay with own nothing and be happy. Right. You know, they're going to be super happy with UBI, right? The universal basic income. They're mm -hmm. going to be okay with the with the with the central bank digital currency and the social credit scores because if they well behave, they're going to have a high credit score. So what do they worry about? Right. Except humanity will be over. And yeah. I've heard Catherine say it. I've heard Peter Bregan say it. I've heard several other people say that if we allow the digital ID, a digital ID, the digital identity in this country, and Biden just as one is pushing the Biden's handlers, Biden doesn't know what he ate for yeah, lunch no. yesterday, but yeah. you know, his handlers, you know, the, the central bank, um, the central bank digital currency, with, which you will be able to get a, a certain amount of money based on how well you behave and you don't look at certain Facebook pages and you don't talk about things like we're talking about, you know, um, it's, you know, they can just turn it off. Click, 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 click. You'll have access to no internet, no electricity, no food, no water, no nothing. Yeah, no, I, I saw that executive order and it is really just a Trojan horse for the feudal system run by a uh, social credit source. Yeah. Which will be tied to your carbon credit. Yeah. Your so, carbon footprint, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Totally. It's terrifying to me. I mean, it's just terrifying to me because we're, it's like, it's like watching, um, a head-on car collision at a hundred miles an hour in slow motion. And, and it's like two and each car is filled with like 12 people and you're watching this collision inch by inch by inch. And you're going to watch people be arms ripped off and killed and mass chaos. And you're watching this happening right before your eyes and nobody seems to care. Wow. Well, well, I care. It's I, I know you care. <laughs> um, I know we're running up on uh, coming up to the the uh, time time limit. So, but uh, if you have any words of like hope, things that we can do, how do we stop this? And uh, yeah, and then of course, you know, anything else you want to add and tell people where they can find you and all that good stuff. Well, I think what's really important is for people to you know come out of the fog. Mm -hmm. stop denying that this is happening because yes. it's through apathy and yeah. it, and, and just say, I, I, I just, it's too much. I can't talk about it. I hear That's, that all the time. And, and th that if you can't face it, we can never stop it. Right. Because they are relentless. They're just oh. like marching on, like marching, marching, marching. They're like, well, I'm just going to pretend it's not, it's like, it's like seeing a tornado coming towards your house Yep. And you go, I'm not, I'm not going to the basement. I, it'll be all right. You know, it's, it's going to go over my house. It's not going to affect me. And so if you, if you are refusing to get, come to grips with reality, there's, they're going to win. Yeah. But I always say ignorance is bliss until reality smacks you in the face and reality always smacks you in the face. <laughs> That's very, very good. And very true. So yeah. when people kind of say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can on a local level right here at my own backyard. I'm going to set up a trading co-op. I'm going to find out who my like-minded people are for food, water, shelter. I'm going to do figure out what I can trade. You know, that guy's a carpenter and I am a seamstress. You know, we can trade, you know, we can trade things. Mm -hmm. I can be, you know, whatever you need, you know, you start to do local co-ops of knowing who your like-minded people are and your tribe may absolutely not be the, your blood relatives. Right. You know, just because you're, they're related to you, they may be at the opposite end of the spectrum on everything that you believe and believe is important. So go find your real tribe, 
go find your like-minded people to, to, to form a plan, make a plan and work a plan in terms of bug out bags, medical bug out bags. My medical bug out bag ebook should be done by this week. And we should be getting that out. Um, you know, we, we, we're doing a, uh, we just did a prepping and canning course. We're going to do another one of those in October. Um, I'm doing the 40 mechanisms of injury revisit on September 12th. I mean, knowledge is power Yeah, and pretending it's not going to happen isn't going to make it go away. And, and that's the biggest thing I think that right now in you go in year three of this nonsense is pretending it's not happening or that somebody's going to swoop in and save us and is going to make it all better. Isn't a reality. Everybody's got to get involved with it and figure out a way on a local level, what they can do to have little groups of people. Now I spoke at the Clay Clark rally this weekend up in Rochester, New York, and we had a booth there because we're doing some cardiovascular treatments for people that have been injured by these shots. And they can find that uh, more about that. If you go to 10 penny ECP external counterpulsation, 10 penny Edward, Charlie, Peter, 10pennyecp.com. There's a ton of information there. But what was so inspiring to me was all we had a booth for two days. It was exhausting. Thankfully, the weather, thankfully, the weather was magnificent. It was like sunny, you know, about 75 degrees, just a little bit of a coolish type of fall breeze in the air. It was marvelous. But I can't tell you, Courtney, how many people came up that they all have ideas. They're all like, we want to start a new healthcare system. We want to help people do this. We want to help people get their prepper supplies. We want to help people to know how to like start a fire from, you know, sticks. And, and there was all these people. So I think there's a growing underground of people that they know it's not right. We're not, we don't know that we can stop it, but we can get out of the way. You know, it's like the train is roaring down the track. What can you do to get off the track? What can you do to step out of the way and have your food, water, shelter, electricity, power grid, your whole house generator? What can you do to have friends and neighbors and people that you can can get together with? Be sure you put a Bible in your bug out bag, people. Make sure you've got a Bible in your bug out bag and you've got, you know, things that are prepared. You can go to, you know, um, uh, learningforyou.org and you can see, you can see what the, all of our materials that we have there. So we're doing our best to try to get people, you know, knowledge is power. And we can't, I, we cannot take them on front, full front. We can't. We're the little Lilliputians and they're the giants with all the money, power, control, media, you know, everything. They're the, mm-hmm. you know, and all the, when you, when you look at all of the Marvel moody movies, you know, the comic strip movies, they're the big ones that smash everything. Yeah. Just make, just make sure you're out of the way, you know? And so I think it takes a little planning and you, in order to plan, you have to be aware and Mm -hmm. to be aware, you have to accept that this Mm -hmm. is the way things are right now. And it may never get better, but how do you do, how do you survive and thrive for your life and your children by moving out of the way of what the, of the train that's coming? I love that. I love that. And that, that is something that we can all do and everybody can take a, you know, a little step towards. So I think that's really hopeful and empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do and for spending your time with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. You too.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.